You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Welcome all you weirdos, Krakoan refugees, and everyone newly matriculated at Empire State University. As always, we remain the mutant member of your Weird Science podcast family. I am your host, Jason, re-ensconced in the Wrong Turn Studio high atop stately Weird Science Tower, and here with me once again is my man Ruben. Now Ruben, this, this question may be a little personal, but when was the last time you matriculated? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Is that graduated? Ah, uh, it's 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 beginning your time at like a a college or university. Yeah, or that kind of got thing. it. Hmm, good question. Um, yeah, almost twenty years ago. That's getting old. <laughs> yes, mine would have been nineteen ninety eight. So yeah, it's 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 been a been a been a dry spell personally. Uh, but we have a few things to talk about today. Not the busiest of weeks, which you know is fine by me because they get out of hand sometimes. There in the uh, the X office this week, we're talking about Ms. Marvel, the New Mutant, number one of four. Then Wolverine number 36. And at the end, we're going to chat about those gods promo pages from that new Hickman deal that have been popping up in books uh, left and right all across the Marvel Universe. Sound like fun? Sounds like something we have to do. <laughs> That's the spirit. Okay. Uh, let's dive right into Ms. Marvel, the new mutant number one of four, entitled New Normal. We have two writers on this, Iman Vellani and Sabir Pirzada. Now, Vellani, of course, is the actress who plays Kamala Khan in the MCU, and Sabir Pirzada is, a, he seems to be mostly a television writer who uh, he, he wrote for the Ms. Marvel and the Moon Knight Disney Plus series. I see he also wrote a couple episodes for Person of Interest, which was a show I remember liking quite a bit about a decade ago. Uh, in comics, he has written the Ms. Marvel tie-ins to the Dark Web events, so he has some experience with the character. And he also wrote a Cult of Carnage Misery miniseries, which seems about as far as you can possibly get from the tone of Ms. Marvel. The artists are Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham, and colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by Joe Caramagna, and design by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. So this book has the Fall of X trade dress and, and most of the usual design features. No data pages, though. Uh, but to me as a reader, it, it feels a lot more like I'm reading a Ms. Marvel book than an X-Men book. Just the tone, the emphasis, the lightheartedness. It feels targeted towards a younger audience, which, you know, it's fine if that's what they're going for. Let's see. Uh, let's dive in and see if it's what, what we're going for. So we start off with a, a dream sequence, which makes sense. Vellani and Pirzada want to establish Miss Marvel's you know mental state as the story begins. And it's one of those dreams where she finds herself on stage expected to perform, not knowing what she's supposed to do. The dream version of Carol Danvers, who it was Kamala's hero, she reminds Kamala that Kamala used to be on the Champions and, and then on the Avengers. That she's also uh, one of the Inhumans, and now she's working with the X-Men. So we're supposed to, I think, see how Kamala is struggling to define her own identity, like theme alert, but it mostly just reminded me that Marvel can't seem to figure out what to do with Kamala Khan, right? I mean, I hated I'd, probably this. Give, I'd give even I, odds that in five years we'll see her on the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, Ruben, what, what didn't you like about this? Yeah, I hated this so much. It's nine pages. Of it a is dream too sequence. much. It's way too much. Yeah, and the, the book itself is extra long. It's 35 pages long. So chop off the dream sequence. You've basically got a standard Marvel comic book. For for the message that they're trying to convey, they could have been handled in like a page, which is fine, right? Like I would have been okay with a one page dream sequence to start this out, but mm -hmm. it's not even like, oh, is it really, is it real or is it a dream? It's pretty darn obvious that it's a dream from like the start. 
And I was just like flipping page and page and page. I'm like, okay, yes, she's having a bad dream. Like, when are we going to get to the actual story? It, It upset me so much by the time it ended. I can see why they want to, you know, start off setting the theme and inviting in new readers, because I'm sure they're hoping that they get some new readers to come to this who haven't you know, necessarily caught up on X-Men yeah. Red, for instance. But if that's the case, this doesn't, it's vague and weird enough that this would not explain the status quo really to you. So I, I think it fails on both fronts. If that's the goal, I don't know how you'd read this and be like, oh, it's clear that she's half inhuman, half X or half mutants blah, 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 all this other stuff going on, right? You just see a lot of characters, you know, from different sides. And like every every character she's ever worked with, it seems. I bet the artist was kind of <laughs> kind of annoyed to see this many characters he'd have to draw. Yeah. I mean, you could write a page, like, her just saying, like, who am I? Am I a mutant? Am I a inhuman? Yeah. It, it's an okay idea. It, it went on longer than necessary. And I don't know why we end with her looking at a mashup of herself as Doctor Strange, but also the Silver, Silver Surfer. Yes. That's a, a weird that's a weird choice to give a whole splash page to. Yes. Okay, so that's setting our scene or our mental state of our protagonist. Uh, is it even herself? Our- Sorry to interrupt. Is oh, it herself ahead. or is it something else? I mean, it almost looks like the collector's head. It's weird. Uh, I have no idea. I, I, I thought from, I, I don't know, I, I thought from some of the costume details was supposed to be Kamala herself, sure. but okay. I yeah. don't even know. So I don't know that I care. Up- I just question whether, like, to your point, I don't know why we have this picture or what this is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So we pick up our main story 10 weeks, not X weeks. It says 10 weeks after Kamala became a mutant or learned that she was a mutant or was retcon, however you want to phrase it, 10 weeks later. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. has two missions here. She's going to be attending a prestigious summer program at Empire State University as Kamala Khan and also as Ms. Marvel. She's working for the X-Men secretly infiltrating the Orca's presence on campus. We see Kamala meet her roommate, Michelle, who is, of course, also a super genius who invents miniaturized plasma generators in her spare time. Having checked in as a student, Kamala now goes into the sewers to check in as a mutant. These are the only four pages where we see those other mutant characters. Now, there is the, the roll call at the beginning that shows our various you know characters to expect. It shows Kamala, and it shows these four mutants. It doesn't show most of the other actual real main characters. So again, it seems to be fighting with itself. Is it an X book? Is it a Ms. Marvel book? It, it feels you know, very separate. So here we see Sink tell Kamala that they have evidence of a secret underground Orcus lab on campus, and they'd like her to find out uh, what's up with that. It seems like one of those meetings that could have been an email, right? But it's an excuse to put some of the X-Men on the page, which is fine. Other than that, did they seem to be acting like themselves in this section to you? The X-Men characters? The X-Men characters. Like, no, uh, Talon no. here is, is way more emotionally open and supportive than you'd expect from any version of Wolverine. Rasputin IV craves chocolate bars and gives Kamala surprise hugs. That doesn't seem right to me. Kitty likes to scowl at Kamala and then, I guess, give her a near-death trial. I mean, I'd realize yeah. that she's That one I can excuse just because she's in a weird place, but it does seem like a cartoon version of what we've seen in other books. Yes. I understand she's in a weird place, but I didn't get that she was now willing to threaten the life of her friends. But okay. Yeah. it's Again, they seem to be – I almost read this as the editor saying, oh, you got to give us some more X-Men content so the X-Men readers will will get it. It doesn't doesn't feel like it holds together with the whole – they haven't integrated the Ms. Marvelness with the X Men yes. of the book. And I, if this is the portrayal of Rasputin 4 that we're going to start getting, uh, it makes me really unhappy. 
that character was very gritty and tough and interesting and now she just kind of seems like this dope yeah i'm just i'm looking at page 18 now and just the way she's drawn her facial expressions she's her whole cool thing is that she's this warrior from out of time from another universe in the distant distant no longer existing future who kind of sees this whole world as ancient history yeah and here she's just like a i don't know like a a goofy anime girl. Okay, well, the next big moment is Kamala telling Bruno about, hey, you know, surprise, I've actually been dead for a while, and then I was resurrected, and also I'm a mutant, and, and by the way, Bruno, your mind was wiped of all of this by Emma Frost. Bruno takes this pretty well, considering, and, and offers his <laughs> unconditional support. Yeah. I mean, the emotions here are pretty well handled, I think. I mean, as a Ms. Marvel book, as a Bruno scene, it's good. I just personally can't get past how amazingly cynical it is Marvel to wring the fields out of this a month after cashing in on Kamala's funeral. It just seems so corporate, so, so cheap for them. <laughs> but on its own, I really can't complain about that scene. It almost makes me wonder, like, maybe this Iman uh, actress, mm -hmm. like, contacted them and said, hey, I'd love to write a comic about Miss Marvel. And they're like, oh, shit, we he killed her off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I, bring her back I quick. I, I, I've got to think that <laughs> Bringing her back was very much part of the pitch and killing her off. I, I think that was, that, yeah. that came together. I got to say, yeah. I, I mean, I realize the reality is they're probably just trying to you know align the TV character that they've decided to make a mutant with the comic character who was not a mutant. But mm -hmm. it, yeah, this whole which is going the, to the be way this was handled because is no, really we don't annoying. know how the mutants are going to be portrayed or what storyline is going to come up in the MCU. But it's yeah. going to be way, way, way different than the fall of X. Yeah. which has this huge amount of backstory that you need to go in. So there's no way to really align it. So it's going to be clunky and uncomfortable no matter what they do. Anyway, this leads into the issue's requisite fight scene. They're outside having this discussion, and uh, suddenly a Chitari, an alien, escapes from that aforementioned underground Orcus lab. Now, it starts wreaking havoc. Kamala changes into her brand new Ms. Marvel suit. Now, I'm I'm no fashion guy. But to me, it doesn't look all that different from her old suit. It still has the long red scarf. Otherwise, I guess it de-emphasizes red in favor of more X-Men-y yellow and blue, right? And yeah, it does they have X's X on her belt buckle and the shoulders. So, uh, uh, I, I know you're, you're, you're deep into high fashion, Ruben. What, what did you think of this new look? It looks okay. It looks very much like the old X-Men blue and yellow look, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of interesting because over the years, people have been moving away from that. And I'm wondering, is this the start of bringing back the more classic X-Men uniform? I mean, nobody else really is featuring that, right? It's sort of out of time. No one's running makes... around in uniform. Yeah. So I just wonder if, if the other people are going to start getting new uniforms that align more to that. Maybe not. So... Uh, Kamala, in her outfit, goes and quickly beats up the poor Chitari. It's, it's already in bad shape from Orca's experiments, and Kamala has to embiggen her arms, Reed Richard style, to, to clear the crowd away from the Chitari's post-mortem self-destruct explosion. At this point, the crowd just inexplicably turns on her, starts calling her, you know, filthy beauty and things like that. I, I guess because of the X's on her new outfit, which seems a, a pretty big jump to make. You know, Ms. Marvel's been around all this time. She just saved their asses from an explosion, and she's got yeah. an X on her belt buckle, and now it's like suddenly everyone just knows, oh, she's a mutant now. It, yeah. it, did you understand that transition, or did it seem out of nowhere to you two? No, I, I kind of hated it, because I just imagine in a life-or-death situation, somebody saves you, even if they're 
somebody you're predisposed to dislike, you might you might pause before you start chanting against them. At least I would think so. I would think it I just seems unrealistic. Think that and Orcus has really you know gotten into people's minds and poisoned them against the mutants for all sorts of reasons. But again, it's just all they see to link her to mutantdom is just that X symbol. Which I mean, she could just be an ally, right? And also, uh, a question for you: If Kamala slash Miss Marvel is supposed to be incognito here, secretly working on behalf of the X Men, why is she even wearing any X insignias? That seems, you know. A, a, a poor choice given her mission. <laughs> I, again, I don't know, but that's, that's what, what jumped out to me. I didn't even think about that. It makes me even more angry. I mean, I hate <laughs> so much about this issue. I, I, I'm not really a fan of teenage superheroes, their stories. Hmm. I, normally. I, I am. I'm still waiting for, uh, oh, was it Dark Hawk? Was that the right name? Night He's Dark a- Hawk. There's that one uh, series that Jim and I did about the. Uh, the kid who had multiple sclerosis, who got the, I'm going to say, Darkhawk armor, and it ended on a super cliffhanger. I'm, I'm hoping okay. Marvel gets back to that someday. But yeah, I like a good teenage coming of age, learning to use their powers story, but uh, maybe not this one so much. Anyway, back to this issue. We've got, we've got two more scenes to wrap up and, and put Ruben out of his misery here. Yes, thank you. Uh, the first one is in Kamala's dorm room, where she stays up and plays video games with Bruno into the, the wee hours while her brand new roommate, Michelle, goes to sleep in the other bed. Now, it's been a while, as I mentioned, since I've been a college student, but having a boy over in the dorm room all night long on what I think is the very first day see, still seems kind of rude, right? Is that Am I being old-fashioned, or is that a yes, you not are. very polite choice to make? No, that, that's very old-fashioned. Depends on, I guess, what state you're in. I, I've, I remember some weird stuff going on in my dorms. Um, and these aren't even college students. This is a high school program over the summer. <laughs> so you'd think that there'd be somebody keeping more tabs than on actual, you know, grown-up college students. Yeah, that's that's fair. It, I it, think that's right. Yeah, at this age, they probably would be more more, uh, more in local parentheses, as they say. I guess. Okay. Final final scene is our our first and only one not from Kamala's point of view. We get to see that underground Orcus lab we've been hearing about. Our villains here are. Nikita, who seems to be the head of the lab, and Omega Sentinel, aka Karima Shapandar, who, who we know. We briefly meet Officer Kroll, but Nikita, fo- I have this written as Natika. What is her actual name? I don't know if I made a typo or if it's an actual I think Nikita's name. probably right. No, oh, well, now I gotta go check. Her name <laughs> is, no, it is Natika. Oh, Natika. N I T I K A. It is, she's. South Asian of some sort, so apologies if I'm making this Asian character into a Russian. Anyway, uh, Natika falsely blames Officer Kroll for the Chitari escape, and then Omega Sentinel kills the officer to death. Now, Omega Sentinel goes out of her way to tell us that Natika is also South Asian, which is kind of an awkward way to check the representation box, and she assigns Natika the task of capturing Ms. Marvel. I mean, there yes. you have it. it. It reminds me a little bit of Astonishing Iceman number one in that it's a, a reasonably well-done, straightforward, classic setup for a, kind of a standard Marvel comic. Uh, art-wise, I didn't care for the dream sequence. I'm fine for a dream sequence to look different than the rest of the issue, but this dream sequence just seems kind of like a slightly goofier version of the artist's usual. The rest of the art is a perfectly fine version of Marvel House style, tells the story, has some decent action, does uh, Kamala's one use of her stretchy powers perfectly well. 
Plot-wise, the only real flaw for me is just how everyone explicably no- inexplicably knows that Kamal's a mutant and an X-Man now. Should have been explained. But I am surprised that we haven't yet been shown Kamala's mutant powers awakening. I guess Marvel wants to keep that in their back pocket for another event down the road, but I, I would have thought that, oh, she's a new mutant. We're going to see what her mutant thing is, but not yet. Uh, so yeah, the book just seemed kind of fine to me. Not awful. I'm not as angry as Ruben apparently is. Uh, its target audience, I just recognize as someone who's probably younger than me, maybe who just came in from this Marvel Disney Plus show. So nothing personal. I'm going to give Ms. Marvel New Mutant a possibly generous 6 out of 10. <laughs> okay, you're not so Ruben, far. Where, where you you're not going? much where higher than me. I'm, I'm at a 5.8. And oh. so it's not the worst thing I've ever read. It just felt like a waste of my time. The dream sequence really pissed me off. A lot of stuff is just extremely convenient. So, you know, we didn't mention that, you know, the, the big bads in their secret laboratory under the station have some sort of seems like what they're suggesting is they have some sort of like nanovirus that they're going to infect Miss Marvel with, which will allow them to find out where the rest of the mutants are hanging out. And I just was like, okay, so you were planning to be attacked by Miss Marvel and you decided just to have the exact thing you needed to combat her under your station. It's it just a yeah, lot it, of stuff was way too convenient. To implement the Trojan horse program. Yes. So it's just, yeah, God, it, it just annoyed me. But okay. I, I guess... Well, I was going <laughs> to ask, but I think I know the answer. Do you think we need to cover the succeeding issues in complete detail of this Ms. Marvel book? Complete detail, no. So, we can yeah. read it. It we'll, might we'll be important. It. We'll give some little updates, you know, like we've done with some other books. But this is not central to the fall of X at all. Uh, but, you know, it's Ms. Marvel. And if you have maybe a younger kid out there who maybe liked the TV show when it's looking to get into comics... It's not the worst possible thing you could give them, you know, especially if you want to get them into X-Men type things. It's, you know, a decent entrance. It's a little too bubblegum for me, especially tied into a story about, you know, pseudo-genocide. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the real tonal event. disconnect here, the dissonance. It's There's two very different things going on, and the writers haven't come up with a great way to make it feel integrated. I do want to say, though, that Books like this and some other ones really do make me think that the current status quo, you know, Orcus being public and popular, mutants being suppressed and underground, might might hang on for a while, right? Because we've seen the status quo in Thor, in the Wolverine Ghost Rider crossover, and here in Ms. Marvel. If it was going to be like a, a brief transitory thing, I don't think it'll be popping up in all these other books. So I agree. I'm thinking I, we might we get this for a while. A year of this at least is my expectation. Could be. I mean, also, as we've noted before, a lot of these miniseries are all going to be wrapping up at about the same time. So maybe that's a signal that something's going to happen at the end of these four and five issue miniseries. I think the only one that hasn't started yet, well, we haven't seen Uncanny Spider-Man with Nightcrawler. I don't think there's any other new number ones. Really. So I, I'm very much looking forward to that Nightcrawler one, and, and, and we'll see where that goes. But that's enough for this one. Now, now I'm going to turn it over to Ruben to... Lead us through Wolverine number 36. Tell us about Wolverine. <laughs> uh, maybe it's the books that we're reviewing on the days that we're reviewing the Ben Percy stories, but uh, this is another, in my mind, success from Ben Percy. It's certainly it's- quite the tonal contrast with Ms. Marvel. Huh? <laughs> my gosh. Can you imagine Ms. Marvel walking into this story? Yeah. That would be horrible. Well, she'd be bubblegum in that, too. She'd be very cheerful and... Oh, look, it's a hell demon. Who cares? It's a totem pole of corpses who've been blood-eagled. 
Yes, people don't like me. I'm going to feel sad. Anyway, enough Ms. Marvel. <sighs> We've already bashed Ms. Marvel enough. Tell yes. us about Wolverine. All right, Wolverine 36, uh, written by Ben Percy, art by uh, Jeff Shaw, colors by Rain Burrito. <laughs> I, I usually go Burrito, right. but I don't Burrito. know. Oh, yeah, sorry. I apologize. I just that. try to pick one and, and sound <laughs> like I'm confident. You know, it works Okay. Yeah, letters by Corey Pettit, uh, designed by Stacy Zucker. So, uh, yeah, I guess we should talk about what's going on here, just to remind everybody. So, yeah, this, this is, is uh, part three of Weapons of Vengeance, which is the crossover that had its alpha issue, and then one issue on Ghost Rider. This is the one issue in the Wolverine series, and then next week is the Omega issue, wrapping things up. Yeah, you're telling me you felt like this was a Ghost Rider story, but not necessarily necessarily a wolverine story which is maybe why i tend to like this better than that's that's how it feels to me it does feel like wolverine kind of guest starring in ghost riders kind of world but the it's kind of a back and forth plot right we see these like you know in some undisclosed past timeline scenes and then it jumps forward to like the present Mm -hmm. and the in the past there was a kid his name was bram he has a social worker who was trying to help him um get his life yeah, he needs a foster home. He's been living at this horrible orphanage. Yeah. And apparently he's he's uh until now we haven't really known like what's been going wrong, but we've we've known that like none of his placements have worked out. And they had taken him to the Xavier Institute thinking that maybe he was a mutant cuz I guess some weird stuff has been going on. And um Professor X did a little mind scan. He's like, "Nope, not a mutant, so we can't help him." So, uh and then in the present scenes, we've had Logan and uh, Johnny kind of reconnecting and doing some Easy Rider stuff, looking for this, this uh, I guess, some creature that is killing a bunch of- Yeah, so this this kid has mutants. some sort of a demon attached to him. In the past, we saw that if the kid gets hurt, the demon gets hurt as well. We have no idea this origin story, where the demon came from, why it's attached to this one poor little kid, but- but that, that's what's going on. And yeah, they both tried to hunt down this demon in the past, and they had a fight with each other because that's what happens when you have two heroes in a book. They fight with each other. The kid got away. The demon got away. And now, some many years later, very similar gory, you know, fleshy totem poles have been found. And they say, okay, he's back. We got to find it, find out what's going on. But in uh, specifically new this time around, it seems to be targeting mutants, which they didn't wasn't kind of the case in the past. Indeed, he's targeting mutants, and he has like some technology which is helping him target mutants, which definitely points to him being now tied into some larger anti-mutant network. Makes you think, oh, is this Orcus? Is this some other anti-mutant thing? It's it's not just one kid and his, his, his demon anymore. Yeah. All right. So that, that brings us to this issue. So we start out with a scene of Bram and his social worker kind of visiting a hospice. And yep, this is the flashback again, who's still flashback to after the first time we meet the kid, but well before current day. And basically, it looks like the social worker is paying uh, hospice workers to get access to people who are already kind of on death's door. And then they take Bram to see that person. And I guess he kills kills them horrifically or the demon yeah, comes out I, of him. I think and- that. This, uh, Ada is her name, the social worker. She seems to have basically adopted Bram. I don't know officially, but or unofficially, but she's taken care of him. And the demon, I guess, needs to be fed. And it seems that the best way she can come up with to feed this demon what he needs is to, you know, go to people who are about to die anyway and figure, well, that's the least 
that option, which I guess, I mean, maybe there's other options, but you know, I'm not in that position. Yeah. And the art for me sells a lot of the story, you know, the unspoken stuff. So we see her not seeming to be totally pleased with the horror that the kid is committing. So it's not like she's necessarily right. She's resigned. Evil. Like, yeah, the whole, she doesn't know life now any better way to her. do it. Yeah. yeah. But she still thinks it's pretty grisly and I guess feels bad for the kid, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in the present day, we think that she's dead. She seems to have been one of the victims in in one of the, the death scenes we've seen. So it doesn't work out too well for social worker Ada. So here we see one of the, in my mind, kind of hilarious, uh, pointless things, but j- kind of cool, but kind of ridiculous scenes. So we've got Wolverine and Ghost Rider realizing that, you know, they know where they need to go. They need to go to this, like, secret Westing test- weapons testing lab and, uh, was it? Devil's yeah, Devil's Backbone. Yeah, Devil's Backbone. Anyways. Utah. And they got to get there fast, so they can't just go at their kind of normal motorcycle buds cruising thing. So they're in Pennsylvania. And so Logan hops on the back of Ghost Rider's bike, and they decide they're going to go at Ghost Rider speed. <laughs> and because of Logan's healing factor, I guess he can handle getting scorched by Ghost Rider's Yeah, I'm head. not sure. Is this... Is it canon that anyone who rides along with Ghost Rider gets burned by the fire? Yeah. I thought that would have been like a protective bubble. Like when, when the when the Flash picks you up, he can run with you and you don't disintegrate because of some sort of hand-waving thing. But I mean, it does make it funny to see Wolverine just getting his face continuously burned away as as they go thousands of miles down the highway. Yes, with, with also the face of uh, Ghost Rider seeming to be laughing and enjoying the absurd speed that they're going. Absurd is the word, indeed. Yes, yeah. So anyways, they zip across the world, I guess, or the at least uh, the country, I shouldn't say the world. And they arrive at this location, they hop off their bike, and they get detected by... They are spotted right away by this. It's a weird... These seem to be brand new characters. It's a, a, It looks very culty. It has the pentagram and the skull and a guy in, you know, the hooded monk's kind of outfit looking very wrinkly and you know almost undeadish he's father pike yeah and he seems you know to be the who head i thought he was techno group right they again they, they have high-tech things using to find wolverine it, it's it's a, it's kind of an interesting collection of tropes all kind of squished together yes this in my mind is blood is uh brother blood from dc like, I cannot see anyone else but bro- Which is uh, funny because uh, if you remember when Jim and I talked about the earlier issue of Ghost Rider that took place in Devil's Background, ba- Backbone, this calls back to, that story was Ben Percy, uh, I don't know if you could say plagiarizing his own writing back in a Nightwing story from like a year or two earlier, yeah. where it was just like beat for beat, <laughs> even the art was so much the same. So if you think even this looks like it comes from, you know, a Nightwing Titans kind of story, that's pretty fun. Yes. Yes, I definitely do. Yeah. So it looks like what they actually are, like a weapons weapons program. Yeah, it's, it's part of Weapon Plus, which is the group that made Wolverine. I mean, at one point it was decided, revealed, retconned that Weapon X was really Weapon Number 10. They love their Xs as 10s. And like... uh Deadpool was like Weapon 9, somebody else was Weapon 11. Like, there's a whole series of weapons that come out of this Weapon Plus program. And I guess Father Pike's now in charge of some sort of a demon-y version of Weapon Plus. Where they're, I guess, trying to weaponize mystical demons. So yeah, they um, wait for the Ghost Rider and Wolverine to infiltrate their base, and 
the Weapon X helmet, if you're familiar with that, but now they're sort of like jellyfish creatures. Like- it looks like our our old friend, the uh, you know the Cerebro unit that attacked Kid uh, Omega. They look like the the hentai helmets, right? It's they, they look almost like the Cerebro helmets with the, the kind of wiry, cordy tentacles behind them, and they they float up behind our two heroes, pop themselves in their he- heads, and and zap them both with some sort of you know, brain tasers. And yeah, there they are. They've been they've been gotten by Weapon Plus. Yes. So yeah. Zap them, kind of knock them out, and then we see the Father Pike opening a door. Bram is in there now, grown up, saying basically, hey, I'm going to, you want to get rid of the demon in you? I've got a plan to do that. Come with me. You know, sounds like he's going to kill him, but I guess the kid thinks that he's going to be demon free and alive after this. Yeah, it's very heavily hinted that, you know, it'll, it's, you'll be out of your pain after this. You'll have been relieved of your burden like it doesn't seem like it's going to go so well for brand i do like the setting here it looks like a again kind of a steampunky meets cult tech look to it which is kind of cool and the idea is that they're going to transfer this demon who we get a name what's his name something real bagra ghoul not raz asgul but bagra ghoul i'm going to transfer that demon out of bram and into wolverine through this techno blood magic computer thing so it, it looks a lot like old movies where they transfer somebody's brain from one to another where it kind of goes through this conduit they submerge them both in what looks like blood and uh yeah it, it gets moved over into wolverine no fuss i no did loss. laugh uh, just art wise here's something to point out to make you laugh oh, please. apparently in order to do this you have to wear bike shorts <laughs> so. yeah, com- compression shorts yes, and yeah. apparently like six to eight <laughs> different Walkman slash iPods, iPods around yeah, their waist. <laughs> <laughs> it's very crazy. I don't know what those are supposed to be, but they, they look like Walkman and iPods to me. They even do it for Bram, right? He's he's first he's in like, I guess, a hoodie and jeans. And then as he gets into the vat, he's shirtless in his bike shorts. So <laughs> very important that you wear the bike shorts so this doesn't work <laughs> at all. Indeed, yeah. So, yeah, um, they basically, I guess, transfer the demon from Bram into Wolverine. And I guess the idea is you're able to control Wolverine, therefore you'll be able to control the demon. And so he... Wolverine is tough enough to bear the demon and be strong enough to, you know, wield the demon. Uh, And yeah, he becomes, we're told, it's one of those, it's, it's goofy, but it's goofy on purpose. Yes. Helverine. Yes. This is the Helverine. Yes, I loved it. It was hilarious. With his very, very hot claws. Yes. That's probably why I loved it the most. Yes. Hot claws are back. So he, yeah, he jumps out of the vat as Weapon X always does. He kills some of the techs as he always does. And then he explodes in fire and he approaches the bad guy. And the bad guy's like, you need to go hunt some mutants. Get yeah, out of here. At and- first, Wolverine's almost in control. And he's going to try to kill Father Pike. And there's this panel. That is, I swear I recognized it. I did some Googling. <laughs> it's it's uh, Helverine going right up to the, the face of Father Pike. Yeah. And the composition and everything is no, right out of the most this. famous yep. uh, uh, frame out of Aliens 3, where that uh, the big alien goes up to Sigourney Weaver and you can see, you know, we'll see the two faces together. It is, you line them up. It is, it's not quite traced, but it's damn close. And it, that made me laugh. Yeah, that's for sure an homage. He's even got like the beads of sweat, right? Like squinting, like terrified as it's like I'll, sniffing I'll post in. those two images on Twitter and, and in the Slack if people are curious because it, it, it made me laugh. But so he jumps on his demon 
that reasserts itself, and yeah. now he seems to be fully under the control of the cult. The helmet has the techno things with the weird demonic letters, but is directing him to go go after five mutants currently 159 miles away, and he gets to ride on Ghost Rider's motorcycle. So he is he is the Hellfarian. And that's 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 the main story. Then there's a sort of side story with Jeff Bannister kind of researching occult stuff, and I guess. Um, you shouldn't be reading these these dirty books. And he, he gets, I guess, possessed or something? Anyways, he starts spitting up flies, and he's having a bad time, and then jabs a pencil through his hand. Yeah, it's like the demon is now inside him and part of yeah. him, and, you know, saying you shouldn't have done that. He, he gets rescued by Talia Warroad, who is this other edgy side character who's been showing up in the Ghost Rider books. But yeah, that seems to be very much off on the side. I don't know anything about her. Basically, like she was what a ex FBI, and they yeah, she and a moment her partner were assigned about- to go catch Ghost Rider. She ended up working with him, and her partner was evil. It was it was very much she was uh, you know, she looked like that store in the mall with all the goth stuff exploded. That was that was her character. But yeah, so yeah, it was an okay Ghost Rider kind of story. Not my favorite thing. The art looks cool for what it is. Uh, the demonic cerebral helmet. I love that. I'll give this uh, a seven out of ten. Why not? It's not my style, but it's done well for what it is. A little too, little too much edgy. You know, look how how demonic and and hardcore I am for my taste. But it is good for what it is. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Seven's where I'm at. It's not anything anyone has to read, but I had fun with it. One of my favorite tropes in comics. Two of my favorite tropes in comics show up here. I love when uh, Ghost Rider possesses anything and. Makes it Ghost Ridery. And okay, so sure. Now we've got Wolverine possessed, and he's Ghost Ridery. I mean, I realize the demon is different, right? But we kind of get that. Yeah, it's very much in that Ghost Rider kind of milieu. And then Hot Claws Wolverine always makes me laugh more than I uh, more than I should. <laughs> and, so and those, those Walkmen, those iPods on his waist, and it's crazy. I, I this is another one of those situations where I would love to see that page of Ben Percy's script and see. Does he mention iPods and Walkman by name, or was it the artist who came up with that idea? I'm just, I'm just so. Curious. I think it's the classic, it's the classic um, Weapon X look. Okay. But the thing that's hilarious to me about this is like the program hasn't advanced beyond that, right? It still seems really, <laughs> really not sophisticated to have all They've the wires. They've got an aesthetic, and they're going to stick with it. Just put a little demon over the top, but but keep the underlying look to it. Okay, so that was Wolverine number 36. (laughs) And yeah, we're going to head on now to talk about gods. G.O.D.S. Yes. Uh, It's this new Jonathan Hickman book that is coming out uh, October 4th, although I've heard rumors that the the number one issue is circulating among reviewers as we speak. Uh, So it's going to be, we don't know exactly what. There's been lots of teases about it. Some people thought that it was going to be a new Doctor Strange thing, which not really. But we've had these one-page little moments popping up all over the Marvel Universe and various books, all written by Jonathan Hickman. And they usually appear as post-credit scenes, but at least a couple of cases, they've been you know, actually integrated in the story. And Ruben and I are going to go through all 10 of them and kind of see if we can figure out what in the heck is going on with this whole title. Sound like fun? Yes. All right. I don't think this so, is X-Men related at all, unfortunately. It's it's Hickman related. and that's I do want to talk me. about it, yes. Maybe that'll be our second podcast, is the Gods podcast. Maybe if uh, the fall of X starts to peter out, we'll just transition smoothly to uh, the Hickman's Gods. Okay, so the first one that popped up was X-Men related, 
It happened in the Hellfire Gala. This is the first time we saw these two new characters, Wynn, W-Y-N. He wears a suit and tie with a jacket. He looks kind of like Doctor Strange crossed with Reed Richards, that kind of white hair, brown hair look. And then mm-hmm. there's Dimitri, who's younger looking, uh, wears this all-white kind of futuristic Star Wars-y looking getup, always seeming bored and browsing on this smartphone-ish device. Uh, Magic, the character, says they both smell of magic, the concept. Uh, Wynn says he heard that the mutants had said to the humans, you have new gods now, but that Wynn and Dimitri are there because they work for the old ones, which is portentous enough, and then they left the gala. So most importantly, what do you think Wynn is short for? You think it's an abbreviation? Uh, W-Y-N, it seems like a nickname, right? We got to be Winfield, Wyndham. I just thought it was a name. But I'm open to that being I, I'm I'm willing, something. I'm ready to find out what the full name is. I, I think that could be a reveal. I could be completely wrong there, but that thing, oh, his real name is, I'm waiting to hear that. I like the character designs. It kind of grew on me at first. I think they're sort of, they, they pop in all the right ways. It's a, a classic pairing, right? The the older character with his younger kind of apprentice, you know, your your Jedi Padawan almost look, uh, where the, the younger one acts all bored, and at some point is going to be a real cool badass in some way. You know, it's 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 a good structure to, to hang a story. And we get can I can I jump ahead and talk about some of these things? So in, later in these reveals, and we'll go through each each of them. We see that this what you would call the i iPhone device that Dimitri has. It's actually seems to be related to these like squares with red dots on them that we see posted around in the background and a bunch of a lot of. Um, he seems to be placing them in different areas. So I actually think that this is like a monitoring device. That he's kind of observing. They're just like cameras. He's definitely it's it's shaped like a like a smartphone with like one extra little rectangle attached to it, and he's definitely drawn as like he's scrolling through it, like your your basic bored adolescent look. That is definitely the look they're going. And it's also it's it seems to like start talking to him later, and so it's a bit like maybe awesome. think of the mother box concept. Some, something that 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 uh, millions. Okay, so. Uh, tell us about the next one, which happened in Doctor Strange number six. Yeah, so I don't have the exact context for this. Maybe maybe you do. I, I've not been reading Doctor Strange, but it seems to be that Strange was in the past observing some army of good forming, and Wynn just kind of appears. He's doing a, a time-hopping thing for Doctor Strange reasons that aren't super important. <laughs> just what he does, yeah. So we see that basically Doctor Strange and Wynn are aware of each other. And here we get revealed that Doctor Strange asks him, you know, are the powers that be going to help me out in this combat? And Wynn says no. But that whatever Doctor Strange is doing is um, what's it say? making a lot of noise in all the places gods. that really matter. Yes. Enough to wake the slumbering gods. And uh, Strange asks for help. And he says, nope. And then Wynn kind of, I guess... Uh, they seem to be frenemies. Basically, it's like, hey, when you get yourself killed, can I get all your stuff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they definitely know each other, right? They address each yeah. other by first name. Doctor Strange doesn't seem all that surprised to see this guy pop up, you know, meet him in his time travel. So, you know, they've, they've been associated with each other before, which is an interesting little clue. Yeah. And the powers that be, I don't know what that is, which is that's, an interesting That's going to be, term. that's who Wynne and Dimitri work for. And they're like, seem to be some sort of older version of gods or powers that ruled the universe back when. Something and he seems like to be sipping on some hooch. <laughs> what do you think? Some brandy? Something like that? He's got a hip flask 
who knows? He's just he's the kind of cool guy who always has a hip flask. See, you, you can relate to him perfectly. <laughs> he's going to uh, what? What's your event that you're going to next week? Oh yeah, so might as well interrupt for a little uh, commercial here. I'm going to the Homebrewers Jamboree this coming weekend in New Hampshire. Which, if anyone out there happens to find themselves around uh, northernish New Hampshire with not too much to do this weekend, it's a fundraiser for Make a Wish. So. The key is, Ruben, you don't tell your wife, I'm going to the woods to drink all weekend. You say, I'm going to a fundraiser for Make-A-Wish. And, and it, it's, it's both things. And it's just all the homebrew clubs making beer and mead and wine and other things all around New England get together. You buy a wristband for like 20 bucks and you drink the best beer and, and mead you'll ever have all day long. People have tons of food around. It's a great time for a great cause. And, uh, that's why Ruben may be doing this solo or with a substitute host next weekend, because by next Monday, I may not be ready to be on the mic quite yet. But yeah, if that sounds like a good time for you, just look up New England Homebrewers Jamboree, and uh, yeah, come have a good time with us. Yeah, future Jason's going to be suffering. <laughs> but it's going to be worth it. Always, but near future Jason will be having a good time. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that, I guess it takes us to like the third third fan um, yes, so kind of we're going to, go to fantastic four number 10 which we don't see winner dimitri in this one at all just two aim beekeeper types right next to the spot where the baxter building used to be it'll be back in a year it's a fantastic four thing long story so these guys who we don't see orcus logos on them so i don't know if they're actually orcus or aim whatever uh they're not looking at the hole where the building used to be they're looking at an inactive electronic thing stuck to a neighboring wall. Says it's stuck there by intertwined strong and weak nuclear forces, plus some unknown third unifying power. The device is a square with a dot in one corner, and the beekeepers don't know where the thing came from. But we'll be seeing this little item pop up again, and we'll, we'll get some clues as to who it's connected. So I think these, my theory is these are like monitoring devices that Dimitri's putting around areas that he needs to monitor. And that his little cell phone thing is what lets him look through those. May very well be. Okay, next, you're going to tell us about Moon Knight number 26. Yeah, yeah. So this one is really nothing. <laughs> we see a, a mysterious woman bandaged up in a hospital bed. We see a guard, I guess. A, well, a guy okay, so you're, you're clearly not there. reading Moon Knight because no. this, the patient is uh, actually it's a gentleman. Well, it's a man, at least. It's Vibro, a, a villain. I think he was... Uh, Iron Man villain, but Dr. Batter, who's like a, another ghost rider, nearly killed him. He's being guarded by a guy named Soldier. Now, Soldier used to work for Hydra. Soldier's now a good guy who's recently become a vampire because someone shot a bullet through another vampire and took the vampiric blood into, you know, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it doesn't it. really matter. Yeah. But uh, what's going on in, in Vibro's hospital room? Okay, that's helpful. Well, we see another one of these <laughs> devices. And the square oh, with the little red dot. Yeah. And it's beeping. So it seems to be active. Right. The other one was just sitting there. This one, the red light is, I think it's blinking. It's hard to tell in static shots, but it seems to be blinking and beeping. So whatever it's monitoring, it's found something, I guess. Next, we have Scarlet Witch number seven. This is Dimitri visiting the vampires of Sevelith. Ooh over in uh, Otherworld. He seems to be, you know, telling us that he made those devices that we saw in the last two pages. So this is, you know, the connection. Uh, there's a weird death flirty thing going on between him and the Sevilleth vampires. Uh, his smartphone device says he probably won't be turned, enthralled, or killed 
because he's a proxy of the powers that be. There's, I think, our, our most direct evidence that they work for the powers that be, but that Dimitri might end up married to them. Kind of gross. He doesn't seem bothered. He seems to enjoy the prospect of uh, that. That's that's that. me editorializing. Kind of gross. Yeah. I and don't want to be married see, to two vampires. Yeah, his little cell phone thing, you can slide out squares in multiple directions because this time we see it it's a off foldable. to the right. Yeah, Very hip. Very, very modern. And then he kind of, and I guess the last scene we see it back as a square, so I guess those parts can go in and they can go out. Looks like cool tech to me. I'd, I'd get that. Trade right, in my cell so. phone right now and get that. What's next? Uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy number five, I did read this one and do know what's going on here. We just see the Collector meeting with this guy and this guy has uh the alien's family in stasis yeah the collector has his his two kids and wife in some sort of stasis collection it's a collector it's what he does yep apparently this this alien goes to the collector and tries to barter for the release of the family frequently and the collector's kind of like yeah you always bring me junk doesn't interest me what you got today and he shows him a clock that's got six hands on it and each hand has like a weird symbol and First, the collector's not that interested, and then he he's like, hey, take a closer look. Do you know where this came from? And then the collector's like, oh, actually, that is interesting. And so he seems to strike a bargain to get at least his kids back. Yeah, it seems like the alien is maybe not that crazy about getting his wife back, but he does want the kids, which is kind of funny. Uh, yeah, this is... I didn't see any direct connection between this and the other things we've read, right? We know Dimitri, no win, no little flashing square. I think it's, what's going on here is mm-hmm. I think these symbols on the hands of the clock stand for the powers that be. It's probably the the sigils of the gods that make up the powers that be. Could very well be. That's and a in part, good guess. Yeah, and in part the reason this is not really based on the evidence that's in the comic, but in a lot of the interviews talking about what gods will be is they've described it as the um, Sandman of the Marvel Universe and the gods in the Sandman had all had sigils that stood for them. That seems like a Hickman kind of thing, right? To have this set of gods and this set of symbols and this set of helpers. Anything you can put in like a, a grid is a Hickman kind of thing. <laughs> That's what it yeah. seems like. Yeah, he loves the grids. Okay, next up we have Uncanny Avengers number one. The setting here, we're told, is the House of Ranks and Numbers, which is the home of the Centum. I googled all those words, came up with nothing. So this must be brand new. Uh, this place looks like a space-age geometric version of a Frank Lloyd Wright kind of building. Kind of a cool place to hang out. We see two scientist-types dissecting a dead body. The dead body is dressed in a very Jack Kirby kind of costume. One of the scientists says that the deceased is essentially equivalent of an Eternal, but from a parallel universe. And also, quote, he's a carrier, which means he has a Tesseract. Does Tesseract mean Cosmic Cube in the comics too? Or is yes. that two different things? No, I think it's the same thing. At least in the, I know in the movies, Cosmic Cube and Tesseract are the same thing. But here they just say Tesseract, and it's kind of stuck inside this fake or parallel world Eternal's head. And they're not surprised at this. It's, he's not the first who's come to them this way. The scientists check in with a woman they call 97, and she tells them to you know, put it with the rest. And it looks like they found at least eight of these things. Yeah. And also these people are in white uniforms, which to me calls back to Dimitri's look. So I actually think this is the crew that Dimitri's part of. Uh, and I, so I'm guessing they're identified as the Centum. Could be. Now, Now Centum is connected with the word for 100. And this yep. lady's name is 97. So I'm going to guess there's 100 of these people who are all named, you know, 1, 2, 3, up yes. to 100. 
So maybe she's like almost the person at the very, very top of the pyramid. There's only three people more more powerful than her. Yeah. That's my that's my guess. And there's, a, I guess, the question I would have is since Dimitri is being called Dimitri and not thirteen or whatever, mm, does he have a number? You know, is he still part of this group or is he like a you know a rebel having fled from it or absconded from it? Okay, next. Take but hey, they said my seven. magic word is Eternals. <laughs> they, they did say Eternals. We do love the Eternals. Even if it's an alternate parallel universe Eternal, I, I, I always I do love the. The Jack Kirby-looking uniforms look like the the South American kind of ancient cultures, those wiggly lines. Love it. Can't get enough. So in uh, Spider-Man, I didn't read this one, but you probably did, basically seems to pick up from what was going on in the the prior one where they're in Sevilleth, and we see Dimitri saying goodbye to the the vampires. So something happened. He's a little freaky, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, they don't seem to be actually married, but I don't think I want to know the details of what happened in between panels here. Yeah, Wynn says he's picking Dimitri up from his vacation. And so he's like, hey, what do you need? They get on this like cool steampunk ship thing. It looks like a blimp attached to like a boat. It's like a sideways blimp, right? The the, the pod thing that the people are in doesn't hang below the balloon. It kind of goes next to it. Yeah. Okay. Looks kind of neat. Yeah. So anyways, um, they, they chat. And again, we see the cell phone device thing kind of chatting to Dimitri talking to him. And this time they identify Wynn as the avatar of the powers that be. So that I thought was interesting. It, you know, are the centum, like what's the difference between proxy and avatar? It seems it to says, be that, that Wynn has some deeper connection to the gods than Weird use of language here. The quote is, the avatar of the powers that be does, in fact, occasionally enjoy hamming your mule. Now, that's another phrase I Google, as hamming one's mule. Is that slang? Is that no? Nope. That's also brand new. Jonathan Hickman, phraseology. I mean, I understood it as like he's busting your balls. Yeah. yeah. But your basically, chain, yeah. He, he, you know, he's like, hey, why why did you pull me away from whatever fun I was having? And he's like, oh, I just like watching you run around. Mm-hmm. And he's like, are you serious? Yeah. So they say, Wynn says to Dimitri that needs him back on duty because he has a feeling that things back in the real world, bad stuff's going to start happening. So again, we're building towards there's going to be some big cataclysmic type kickoff event that means they're back on duty. Okay, next and up. And they seem to be leaving other worlds in their cool little ship. Balloon, blimp, steampunk. Thing. Yep. Yeah. So off in Immortal Thor number one, we see Tyr One Hand the Valorous. He is the eldest son of Odin, brother or half-brother of Thor, depending on what retcon you currently believe. Uh, his hand was bitten off and eaten by Fenris. That's Fenris the wolf, not the creepy mutant twins. Uh, he hears a voice that is calling him to climb into this cubicle box with black and white X triangle kind of symbols on it. And whether this is the same as the Tesseract we saw off in that other page or not, I don't know. It's it's another creepy cube at least. And yeah. he, he climbs into the box and it says here that uh, the, the voice tells Tyr that the world outside the box is a lie and that Tyr is going to love his new home inside the box. It has an almost kind of David Lynch kind of feel to it. I don't know if you're a big uh, Twin Peaks fan, but that's what it feels mm-hmm. like to me. Interesting. I thought that was creepy. I don't think this is the Tesseract because the pattern on there seems to be very much a central point. And earlier, the Tesseracts were just kind of cubes. It does cubes. just, I see a pile of weird cubes on one page and then one big old weird cube on the next page. And I think, oh, maybe those are connected somehow. But 
Possibly not. There's the and good cubes and the bad cubes. Could be. <laughs> and again, we don't see any other other than we see a cube, no actual direct connection between this and anything we've seen anywhere else. So what's going on here? Anybody's guess. Yeah. Hey, Ruben, take us home with the very, very last of these pages. Yeah, this is what, Venom 24? Yep, Venom 24. So I, I don't know what's going on in Venom, so a lot of this doesn't seem to make sense to me. But I basically, don't think most of these have much to do other than the Gala and Doctor Strange and I guess Moon Knight. I don't think they're really connected to the books they're in. They just needed a place to put some teasers and try to get some people excited about this event, which sounds like it's maybe not working too well. I don't know, but we'll I'm excited. Out. I'm Oh, I'm yeah. often not the the barometer for what's successful in comics, so it would not shock me that I will love this and everyone else will hate it. But That's possible, but you know, we talk about what we think is good, not necessarily what uh, is popular. But yeah. tell us about this very last of our so teaser pages. Yeah, so Dimitri and Wynn show up in their steam-powered ship, and there's we see these people in a wolf mask. And yeah, a, so we're back in New York City, so in the real world. Yeah. So I didn't understand this part. I don't know if this is a Venom thing, but we see these characters. It's, kind of. so we get a panel. First, we just shown, hey, that, that airship is in New York City. And then we get a panel out of nowhere. We see a people in gold masks, kind of like Destiny, sort of, that same kind of vein. Uh, and the narration says, the Lion of Wolves howls with rage. Google that, got nothing. And Nemu de Lac smells iron in the air. Now, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. It's probably French. But Nemu de Lac seems to be an alternate name for the Lady of the Lake from Arthurian legend. And uh, smells iron in the air makes me think of how fairies are supposed to be really repelled by cold iron. So maybe these are fairy-type creatures. Think of maybe a, con a, a conflict between magic and technology, that sort of idea to it. But who they are and who they're connected to, we're told nothing. And then we see Wynn and Dimitri walking around New York smiling, and they talk about Oh, well, the mystical creatures are in hiding, as they should be, because the Avatar of the Powers of the Bee is returned. Indeed. And, and once again, we see Wynne striding purposefully and confidently, and Dimitri behind him, uh, scrolling through his not-actually-a-cell phone. <laughs> and that seems to be where we, uh, where we leave off. Who do you like more? I like Dimitri, because him staring at his cell phone is, like, totally me. He just needs no, a wife. I was going to say that reminds me of my least it. favorite kind of students in my math classes. So I'm, I'm not going to. No, no insult to you meant there, Ruben. Oh, that. it's fine. It's fine. It's a really bad habit. It's like cigarette smoking, but for the the but current the generation, brain. it's a horrible habit to have. Yeah. Okay, so that, those are the previews, and and yeah, I I am happy that we collected all these and went through them together because I was when they were showing up in books I was reading, I would kind of glance at them and go, I don't know what the hell's going on here, and I still don't yeah. know what the hell's going on here. But in a more interesting kind of way, you know, if it turns out to be a David Lynchy meets Jonathan Hickman meets the Sandman kind of a story, throw in some Eternals, that doesn't seem like the worst thing ever, right? That could be a be kind of cool. Yeah, so God's number really cool. one is going to come out October 4th. Uh, Ruben, you and I will certainly talk about that first one here. I don't know if Jim is going to pick it up on any other things. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's Jonathan Hickman. And for me, that's close enough to get it onto this show. Sound like fun? Sounds good. Yep. Okay, so next week, Ruben and somebody is going to talk to you about X-Men number 26, Immortal X-Men number 15, and the end of Weapons of Vengeance, which is in Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Weapons of Vengeance, Omega number one. I do love it when I give you an Omega and a one on the same book. That's this piece of resistance there. So, okay, those are the books for next week. Uh, until then, Ruben, I'm going to be doing lots of baking. 
because I make these fancy cookies that I bring to the Jamboree and that I eat and drink like a king all weekend in exchange for the cookies. So I got to get back to baking. But Ruben, what do you think the other listeners should be doing until then? Well, you got to read more X-Men comics. Damn straight. That's for sure. 